you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 5. I'm just going to read a few verses, a very well-known passage of Scripture I'm sure we've all heard before. I'm just going to read verses 11 through 16. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. May the Lord add a blessing for the reading and hearing of his word. You know, it's funny, when a few weeks ago, I'm not sure exactly, I think it was actually before Christmas, though, uh, Pastor Hiram asked me to preach. Um, you know, anytime anyone asks me to preach, I say, okay, well, what am I going to preach about? It could depend on what time of year it is or whatever, something related to the season we might be in. Um, so I really wasn't sure, but I'm thinking about it, praying about it. And I get these verses uh, emailed to me every day. It's like a verse and then a little thought and then a little, little prayer. And all of a sudden, almost every verse had something uh, about light. There are so many verses in the Bible that talk about light or shining. And I think to myself, I thought to myself, okay, I said, I think that's where I'm going to go with this. I think I'm going to talk about, about light. And then, actually last week, what did Pastor Hiram preach about? Light. Um, but I'm going to take it, he, he spoke about um, one of Jesus' seven I am statements from the Gospel of John, where Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So I'm going to continue with this theme of light, but I'm going to talk about us being light. And you'd think this idea of us being salt and light is a really good one, right? As believers, we're trying to have a very positive influence in our world. Our world is such a dark and decaying place, it needs a lot of salt and light. I mean, all you have to do, as Pastor Hiram often mentions, he doesn't watch the news. And it's like, just watch the news. You watch the news, you're not going to get well, go away with the old warm and fuzzy feeling about the state of our world. It's a very dark place. So much wrong. And it really needs us to be the salt and light we're called to be. But every once in a while, sometimes this can be kind of hard. Because sometimes we face opposition or criticism, or we're even made fun of for what we believe. Years ago, there used to be this TV show called What Would You Do? Lily and I used to like to watch it. And it's the one where the, the host would set up a hypothetical situation to see how people would react, and they have it all on hidden camera, right? So, for example, like the one time they set up a bullying situation where this guy was bullying another guy in the street, and all these people were walking by, you know, and they, like, they're looking like this, and they want to do something. Do I do something or do I not do something, right? And some people did get involved. And other people were afraid, you know, or they set up some other sort of situation where somebody was doing something illegal or ethically questionable. And it's really interesting to watch how people react in those situations. Because it's easy for us to say, well, you know, if I saw this bullying situation, I, I would do something. 
maybe you would. Maybe you wouldn't. What if you had, what if there were more of them than you? What if it wasn't just one-on-one? What if you had a child with you or something like that? So it's easy for us to say what we might or might not do. Well, I kind of had something like this happen to me once. It wasn't as serious as the situations on TV, but it still left me wondering, you know, did I do the right thing? What should we do in a situation like this? So what was happening was I was in a store looking for a graduation card for the daughter of a friend of ours. And I'm standing there looking at the cards, you know, just trying to find the right one. And two people come up, a man and a woman. I think they were father and daughter. I'm not sure. He looked to be about my age. I think the woman maybe might have been like in her 30s or something like that. So they come up alongside me, and they're looking at the graduation cards as well. So the lady's going through them, going through them, going through them. And all of a sudden, she, she threw one down like this, almost like a bitter. And the guy said, well, what's the matter? She goes, oh, just some religious bull, fill in the blank. And I'm thinking, oh boy, now what do I do? Am I going to say something or not? You know, because I'm not, you know, like Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Right? It's the power of salvation to all who believe. I'm always, you know, happy to share my faith. But then I'm thinking, do I say something or not? What if they start yelling? What if this guy turns around and tries to slug me? You know, and I'm, I'm getting into a fist fight in the store, you know. So I just wait a little while, praying for wisdom. They're still looking. And again, she goes, oh, more of the same. And finally, I, I turned, I said to her, I'm like, come on, it's not really that bad, is it? And I was really hoping that, not, not knowing what she might say. She might say, oh, what are you, like some religious nut job, or you're a Bible thumper, or something like that. Or she might just say, you know, go take a long walk off a short pier. But she just looked at me, and they didn't say anything, and they went their separate ways. I don't know what it made her feel like that. You know, um, maybe she has a general disdain for organized religion. Maybe she, or someone she knows, was hurt by someone who claimed to be religious. I don't know. But what I do know is, is that it's very clear, and Jesus mentioned it in our reading today, and we see it other places in the Bible, that we're going to encounter opposition at times. Jesus himself said we might even find opposition within our own households. So for me, it's really not a matter of if, but a matter of when. And when these situations happen, we need great wisdom on how to deal with them. I think people are usually against organized religion for a few reasons, but it seems to me that the most strident religious critics almost always seem to have Christianity in their sights, don't they? They're not really talking about other faiths. They're almost always talking about Christianity. In fact, there have been a few books on the New York Times bestseller list that were written by some very well-known atheists. How about God is Not Great, How Religion Poisons Everything by Christopher Hitchens, or The God Delusion by Richard Dawkins. But again, it seems they most often have Christianity in their crosshairs. But how do people get like this? I wonder, how do people get like this? Well, I think there's a couple reasons why they can get like this. One is, they might think, well, religion is for weaklings, right? Meaning either we're intellectually weak or we have weak personalities, like religion is a crutch. I think both of these things, of course, don't hold any water. I think intellectually, we have a faith, our Christian faith is a reasonable faith, and it's a faith that reasons. 
no one is asked to check their brain at the door, as I've heard some people say. We have a book, the Bible, that claims to be the very word of God, and it backs it up. It's unparalleled in terms of the amount of manuscript evidence we have for it. It's supported by many archaeological findings. But probably the most powerful thing is its predictive validity, how it specifically predicts things and how accurately these prophecies, how they are fulfilled. It defies statistical probability. But I'm not here to defend the Bible because I think the Bible defends itself quite well. And I think its explanations for why things are the way they are are very sound. And I think that the alternative, that everything just happened by chance, is really kind of silly when you think about it. But what I want to talk about is how to react to a world that's hostile to what we believe without alienating them. And not only that, but to hopefully bring them to a knowledge of God's amazing grace. To let them know that God loves us and has done something for us through Christ's atoning sacrifice. Jesse Ventura was a former professional wrestler and part-time actor who became the governor of Minnesota several years ago. When he was governor, he made some waves when he said organized religion was for weaklings. This is nothing new. Philosopher Karl Marx once called religion the opiate of the people. Certainly, we're living in a time when it's popular to either dismiss religion or just sample a little bit of it and make up one's own brand of faith. Perhaps if we're honest, we wouldn't really argue with the idea that there are some things wrong with organized religion. Too many denominations, splinters within denominations, arguing, elevating people to high places of authority, maybe too much emphasis on buildings, budgets, and crystal chandeliers. Jesus himself had a lot of trouble with organized religion. Both he and John the Baptist called the religious leaders of their day a brood of vipers. And we all certainly know that there was one time when Jesus actually took a whip and cleaned out a temple because they had corrupted God's house. But I think, you know what, folks, I think that people too often take a leap from general comments about organized religion and they just end up dismissing religion and faith altogether. C.S. Lewis was once a deep skeptic about matters of faith. He reasoned that he couldn't believe in God because the universe seemed just so cruel and unjust. But then he realized that his very sense of justice, his very sense of right and wrong, had to have come from somewhere. Lewis found that atheism was too simple. He reasoned that Christianity was too unusual to have been made up. He also reasoned that Jesus was either who he said he was, or he was a lunatic. There's no room to call him a good moral teacher because Jesus didn't leave that option open about himself. Jesus taught and claimed that he himself was God. But besides looking at philosophies, when we look at the lives of Christians, many Christians, they are anything but weak. Was Jesus weak? when he went through an excruciating death on the cross? Was he weak when he confronted the government and religious authorities of his day? Were men and women weak who refused to deny their faith when they were tortured and often killed? Was Mother Teresa weak when she dared to minister to the sick and dying? You can probably think of other people you know who have been through a lot, endured illnesses, 
suffered losses of family or wealth. And through it all, they kept their faith. Yes, there are weaklings among us. There are those who are say they are Christian or religious in name, but don't live any differently from anyone else. And there are many of us, and I'll include myself here, who are weak sometimes when we just fail to live out our lives in a just gutsy, all out, no matter what fashion for God. But rather than get angry or critical when people like Jesse Ventura say something that's partly true, what if it made us resolve to live more faithfully and courageously and closer to our convictions? You know, I think another reason why many people might be angry at Christianity is because of bad things that have happened in the name of it. The world knows well the sins of the church, the Inquisition, witch hunts, the Crusades, modern-day sexual abuse. Clearly, the church has fallen short of the ideals Jesus proclaimed. Many dismiss the Christian message not because they have examined the evidence and found it wanting, but because they are personally disappointed with Christians and churches. As Pastor Tim Keller observed, we need to address the behavior of Christians, individual and corporate, that has undermined the plausibility of Christianity for so many people. And this fact should be a wake-up call for us. Many years ago, she's heard this story before, so I'm going to say it anyway, when I was dating someone else. Um, at the time, uh, this girl's sister was married to a Jewish fellow. And I remember when he first met me, he was really kind of very standoffish. You know, and I couldn't figure out why. You know, I was just trying to be nice, trying to be polite, engage him in conversation. And he kind of slowly came around. And finally he said to me, he goes, you know, I've had some people who said they were Christians say some really ugly things to me. He goes, but you're like one of the first ones who I think, you know, you kind of are trying to, you know, to live up to what you proclaim. We need to ask ourselves some tough questions. Have I failed to live up as Jesus taught us? How responsible am I for the negative perceptions some may have of the church? We should each look at our own lives and seek God's grace and forgiveness if necessary. But there are some tough questions for the non-Christians as well. Does the moral failure of Christians undermine the claim that Jesus is truly God? Have I had a negative experience with some Christians that clouds my view of the church? Am I really evaluating Christianity and the church fairly? There are two reasons the character flaws of the church should not surprise us. First, the Bible speaks of human nature as gloriously made in God's image, but profoundly fallen in sin. Human nature is deeply, deeply flawed. There's so many things I, I could say here about this. I'm just going to read one passage. Look what Jesus said. This is in Mark chapter 7, verses 14 to 23. Again, Jesus crowd the called the crowd to him and said, listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about the parable. I love this response. Are you so dull? He asked, don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? where it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach and then out of their body. 
he went on, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. Even true Christians are capable of some pretty bad acts. The Bible does say that we're a new creation, according to 2 Corinthians 5.17, but I think this is only going to be fully realized in the next life. Secondly, there are many who claim to be Christians that have not placed their faith and trust in Jesus and therefore do not truly know him. Jesus taught that believers and non-believers would be part of the institutional church, but that their true identity would not be revealed until the end. He also taught that there would be people who thought they were acting in his name that would not enter the kingdom of God. Listen to this in Matthew 7, 21 to 23, Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Wow. That's a really, really strong, sobering statement for all of us. Just because someone claims to be a Christian doesn't mean he or she really is. When I was being witnessed to by a coworker one time, he said to me, he goes, you know, just because someone's in a church, someone being in a church doesn't make them a Christian any more than someone being in McDonald's makes them a hamburger. <laughs> no, truly, ultimately, we need to compare the actions of individuals and the corporate church with the teachings of the Bible. But we have to keep this in perspective. Yes, there have been some bad things done in the name of religion. That's undeniable. But the reality is, I believe, is that the good far outweighs the bad. Consider these things when, when you think about what Christianity has done. Started hospitals and universities, which began in the Middle Ages. Literacy and education for people. Civil liberties. The abolition of slavery. The elevation of women. The Good Samaritan ethic. And a high regard for human life. So we have to make sure that we're not dismissing the teaching of Jesus because of the poor representation of those who claim to be his followers. Yeah, people in the church might let you down, but Jesus never will. Jesus never will. So, how do Christians stand up for their faith in such an anti-Christian world? Well, our reading today, we have to let our light shine. We have to let our light shine. We need to continue to love people, pray for them, and minister to them. We need to tell others about the great God that we serve. Now, I know the idea of evangelism can be rather daunting. And I think sometimes the idea of evangelism can produce this response. But seriously, you never know when you're going to have an encounter with someone. You just never know. 
First Peter 3.15 In your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. But you might say, but what if they ask me a question I don't know the answer to? Tell them, I don't know. It's okay to say, I don't know. No one has all the answers. And if someone says they have all the answers, like Pastor Hiram says, they're a liar. <laughs> they're lying. But you know what you can tell them? You can tell them your story. You can tell them your testimony. You can tell them who you are and how you were before you encountered Jesus. Tell them, I was blind, but now I see. I was lost, but now I'm found. I was dead in my sins and trespasses, and God made me alive in Christ. You just never know. Very quickly, one time I was driving back uh, from Pennsylvania. I went to see my family, and I stopped in New Jersey to get gas. It had to be nice weather. I remember it was a sunny day, shorts and a t-shirt on, and you know, pumping my gas, minding my own business. You know, what do you think about when you're pumping gas, right? I'm just, you know, birds are chirping, traffic's going by, and this and that and the other. And all of a sudden, I hear someone say, the truth. What is the truth? I'm like, uh, I'm like, keep on pumping my gas. And again, I hear this voice, a very heavy accent. The truth, the truth. What is the truth? And I turn, and I, I realize now where it's coming from, and it's the gas station attendant. And he's looking at me with this big smile. He's going like this. And then I finally realized I had this T-shirt on. It said, truth. <laughs> and, and the one, the T was a cross. He goes, what is the truth? And he walks over to me, and he goes, the truth is always bitter. I said, oh no, my friend, this truth is very sweet. And I just, I just sat there and we just started talking and I just started sharing my faith with him. It was just one of those God-ordained moments. And then, you know, I, there were some self-serve pumps and then there were the full-serve pumps. And so a car came in and he had to go and he's looking over there and he's looking at me. I said, I ain't going anywhere. So I don't know how long I was there, maybe 10, 15 minutes. And I just shared my faith with him. And I happen to have a daily bread in my car. So keep some tracks and daily breads in your cars, folks, because you just, you never know. You just never know. Um, and he, he thanked me, and then I left. And a subsequent time, I went back, and I, I prayed for him. Um, and then I went back to my church at the time at our Wednesday night prayer meeting. I said that I was able to witness to this guy, and we prayed for his salvation as well. And then I went back to the gas station, and he wasn't there that time. And so I, I asked the guy who was there, I said, what happened to this gentleman? Because he told me his name. He goes, oh, he was transferred to another station. So I don't know. I hope I'm going to see this guy in heaven one day. I, I really, truly hope so. But you just, you just never know when God's going to give you an opportunity to share your faith with someone. So now I've got a little questionnaire for you. Number one, do you call yourself a Christian? Number two, do you believe in the power of God's word? Number three, do you believe God is still in the business of saving souls? If you answered yes to these questions, congratulations, you've just applied your, for a life of full-time ministry. 
But you might say, I don't work in a church. I don't work for a Christian company. I don't have time to serve in ministry. That's okay. As Christians, the purpose of our life is to share the good news of the gospel. Matthew 28 19, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You are in ministry. Your current situation, your workplace, wherever you are, that's your personal mission field because you can reach people that the church can't. Again, I've mentioned it many times. I was saved through the faithful witness of two co-workers who faithfully shared the gospel with me, went back to their respective churches, and asked them to pray for me. Ministry, and especially evangelism, is not only to be found within the confines of the church building. Our God is much bigger than four walls and a steeple. God has put people in your life for a reason. And honestly, most evangelism is not done in the church, but through the church. We are the church, all of us. And there are people, again, it's not just pastors' jobs or even evangelists' jobs to share the gospel. Because you folks, all of you are in places where you're going to meet people that we're not, and vice versa. And God has given each of you gifts and the ability, and you can share your faith with them. And then hopefully, hopefully and you can bring them to church. We need to help empower the lives of other people with the power that comes from knowing Christ as Lord and Savior. Just because you don't have a seminary degree or a position in serving in a local congregation doesn't mean you're not in full-time ministry. The New Testament couple, Priscilla and Aquila, are perfect examples of this. Acts 18, 2-3, tells us that Paul became acquainted with a Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently arrived from Italy with his wife Priscilla. They had left Italy when Claudius Caesar deported all the Jews from Rome. Paul lived and worked with them, for they were tent makers just as he was. See, both Priscilla and Aquila were tent makers who helped Paul on his missionary journey by allowing him to live and work with them so he could provide for himself. Their work flowed right into their ministry, and it happened at one of the most critical times in Christian history. God can use you wherever you are. We can all help change the world and share the gospel with them one person at a time. But we need to remember this. An important thing is that no matter how persuasive our, our presentation of the gospel might be, we can't force anyone to believe something they don't want to believe. Sometimes, you know, you think you've got like an ironclad argument and everything like that. This is why you should believe. Can't you see that our world is messed up? Can't you see that it's under the curse of sin? Can't you see that what the Bible says that Jesus has done? And he's the only one that makes that claim. Okay? Other faiths don't have that. They simply don't have that. And people say, okay, okay, that's nice. Eh, maybe later. So no matter what we do, we have to remember Conviction is not our job. That's the Holy Spirit's job. The Holy Spirit convicts people, and they can choose to believe or not to believe. What we can do 
let's present ourselves in a way that is as Christ-like as possible. So what are we supposed to do when we encounter naysayers and other opposition? Again, Jesus said, we're supposed to be salt and light. For the followers of Jesus, there's no playing hide-and-seek with the world. We have been rescued from the dominion of darkness. We have to let our light shine. This isn't a suggestion. This is not a suggestion on Jesus' part. This is a command. Jesus didn't say, you should be light. Jesus didn't say, try to be light, but if you're not feeling it today, that's okay. No. He said, you are. You are the light of the world. We need to shine so that others see God's light reflected in us and they learn to glorify him as well. 1 Peter 2.9 says, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. We are a chosen people with a purpose and a mission. We've been brought out of darkness, the darkness of sin, and given the amazing light of God's salvation. And we have to help others find this light. We're blessed so that we can be a blessing. And we're given light to shine to help others find their way out of darkness. We are called to point others to the one true uninterrupted light, our almighty God as Father, Son, and Spirit. I just want to share a couple of quotes with you that I think really drive this point home. In addition to my verse I get every day, I get a quote every day too. So, um, This is by Randy Elkhorn. It says, God's truths are not bricks to throw at people. They are bread to feed people. And Christian singer Keith Green, I didn't know this, he was from Sheepshead Bay, Brooklyn, and sadly died at a very early age in a plane crash. He said, this generation of Christians is responsible for this generation of souls on earth. And the great evangelist Billy Graham said, it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict, God's job to judge, and my job is to love. Now, there might not ever be another evangelist like Billy Graham, but I'm pretty sure, quite confident, that he would say it's the responsibility of all Christians to share the gospel. So, folks, we need to get out there, and we need to shine. We need to be salt and light. This is what we're called to be. Again, it's not a suggestion. It's a command, and there's somebody out there that needs to hear the gospel from you. So let's get out there and shine. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for loving us and sending your son Jesus to be a sin offering, to justify and sanctify us. We thank you for your Holy Spirit, who is a seal guaranteeing our redemption. Help us, we pray, to be the people you call us to be. Help us to live holy lives that please you and point others towards you. Help us to be the ambassadors we are called to be. Show us opportunities to share our faith and help us to be bold and passionate, but not self-righteous or pushy. Give us wisdom when to speak, what to say, and when to be quiet too. Strengthen us this day and all the days of our lives. 
We thank you in advance for what you're going to do in and through us.